0: Before we start today's episode of the podcast, I want to share a little bit more about my story. While I've talked about my story here in the podcast, while I've written about my story and other places and stay forth, maybe you've seen our field notes page where I often write about leadership, I've rarely shared my own story of leadership. So let me catch you up. I was a pastor for thirteen years in a local church and during that time I developed leaders including church planters pastors in other places and I began to coach leaders across the country so I've been coaching for about a decade but about 5 years ago a significant shift happened to me in my coaching as I began to realize that leaders had plenty of information but there was a level of overwhelm which led to unhealth, which led to many leaders burning out, and I realized there actually was a lack of sustainability. Leaders were leading in a way, were pushing in a way, striving in a way that simply was not sustainable. So I began to shift the focus away from just competency and capacity in my coaching and training, which is incredibly important but is not the full story. I shifted that to a focus in health, to longevity, to ask the question, how can we lead and continue to lead a long time from now in ways that are healthy and sustainable and out of our unique design? Not comparing ourselves to somebody else down the street or on social media or in our city or at a nonprofit that we love, but simply out of who we are who God has designed us to be. And two years ago, I went full-time with that vision with Stay Forth. And since then, our team has grown at Stay Forth. We have coaches across the country. We have a central team that organizes content and does everything around the experiences and the coaching that we host. There's two things we primarily do. We coach leaders to help them to clarify their obstacles and their next steps. And we host experiences that help leaders replenish. These are four-day experiences in beautiful places where we want to see leaders who are feeling depleted be replenished in their heart, soul, mind, and strength so they can return back to the ministry that God has designed for them. Whether that's through business, whether that's ministry in their family, whether that is a kingdom life lived in their neighborhood or in a nonprofit, changing the world in some way, we want to be part of the journey through coaching and experiences. There are several ways that we live those two things out, but we want you to know that one of those ways is right here on the podcast. We want you to live and lead right side up in an upside down world. It is possible to live and lead well for the long haul without losing our souls in the process. And we work with leaders through coaching every single week who are doing just that, and it is so encouraging. Some of you who are listening, we get the opportunity to coach, we get the opportunity to host on experiences, but we wanna invite you into a couple other things. First of all, the Right Side Up community. The Right Side Up community on Facebook is a safe place for you to grow in your leadership, to ask the hard questions, to learn from other leaders who want to live and lead healthy out of their unique design. There's some incredible leaders over there, we promise. We keep those conversations safe. That's a protected space where we are going to make sure that you continue to respond to the questions, to learn from other leaders, and we want to facilitate that. Sometimes we do live streams in there. We'll bring podcast episodes over there sooner. We'll just kind of let you behind the scenes of some of the conversations we're having with some incredible leaders. The second opportunity for you is called our Right Side Up Journal. Our Right Side Up Journal, we created as a companion tool to coaching. We realized coaching simply wasn't Enough. Every other week with a coach for 90 minutes is incredible. But people need daily checkpoints, markers along the way, opportunities to declare a purpose for each day, to create some time blocking and some batching, and for leaders to get organized. And I can tell you, I use this journal every single morning. And this journal is an incredible three-month process in health, in impact and longevity, you can track your steps along the way, and we have hundreds of leaders across the country who use this every single morning. Groups use this together. Teams go through this. Church staffs go through this together, and the Right Side of Journal is an incredible tool. And the last one is called Tuesday Tune Up. This is a practical email that's delivered every single week. And the question that, that started our Tuesday Tune Up was, what if in five minutes a week, you could get something in your your inbox that actually helped you make a practical change to your leadership. And we are delivering that Tuesday tune-up. Let me tell you where to find these places, Right Side Up Community. Just head on over to Facebook. Uh, Make sure to like the Stay Forth page, but then you can just request access. We'd love for you to come in there and introduce yourself. The Right Side Up Journal. You can go to rightsideupjournal.com. That's rightsideupjournal.com. Check it in the show notes below. And Tuesday Tune Up, you can get this email delivered to you every single Tuesday by simply going to TuesdayTuneUp.com. Again, find that in the show notes. We would love for you to track along with who we are at Forth Designs. If you're interested in a replenishing experience or coaching that helps you clarify, head on over to StayForth.com and check out our experiences, check out our coaching friends. We are not just a podcast. We are a community of leaders who want you to live and lead healthy for the long haul. They want you to live out of unique design so you continue to live and lead well for the long haul. Friends, you don't have to burn out. You don't have to flame out if you live and lead how God has designed you. Ryan, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me. I uh, love some of the people you've studied, some of the things that you do. Uh, this is a moment where we need to be talking more about ethics. So we're going to delve into that today. But first of all, when somebody says, what do you do? What do you actually tell them?
1: I do a lot of things, but uh, I teach and, and preach at my church. Uh, I'm not in full-time ministry, but I used to be a long time ago. I'm a, a, a Christian uh, ethicist, a uh, professor. I write books and and other things. So I... Um specialize in Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is, is the guy that I studied the most. So uh, I would be called a Bonhoeffer scholar. So I do a lot of nerdy things. And uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm helping small business owners uh, grow their businesses in a way that's hopefully consistent with this idea of formation. I'm, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with the idea of formation.
0: Mm. So talk to me about formation in the midst of business right now. We have a lot of biz- business folks. Solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, corporate folks listening, how in the world do you connect formation and business? Yeah, So the idea of formation is
1: there's these three major ways of looking at ethics. And one is uh, I'll just break it down. A friend of mine calls it the Walmart version. Um, So it's rules-based ethics, which is, you know, thou shalt not kill or do unto your neighbor or um, any number of kind of command or rule-based. That's called uh, deontological ethics or rules ethics. Then there's a second kind called teleological ethics, which is really goal-based ethics. That's where you get utopian ideas or wanting to have this goal that we're reaching or even sort of peace, love, justice, whatever that is. Like, hey, the the ends justify the means, right? You've heard that. Um, One... One form of that kind of ethics is called utilitarian ethics, which has a a lot of people who think it's a good idea and a lot of people who think it's a bad idea. Utilitarian ethics basically says, how do we get the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest number of people? So those are the two big boys in the room of historical ethics. And then the third one, I can't even pronounce. It's er er eryteological ethics, which just really means virtue ethics. It means ethics as a project over time. And so when I studied Bonhoeffer's ethics and I've studied some other uh, Christian ethics and other ethics in general, I'm most kind of attracted to that form of ethics, which is about ethics as a process, as a project, as this uh, spiritual formation, relational formation, personal formation, ethical formation, which is to say... Uh, as uh, Eugene Peterson says, uh, a slow obedience in the same direction, or a long obedience in the same mm-hmm. direction. So, kind of becoming rather than, well, I'll just be kind of crude without using the language. Uh, fighter pilots have a saying, which is when uh, when the crap hits the fan, you don't rise to the occasion; you default to your training. Yeah, and so I think that's why I lean towards that third category of ethics, whether you call it character or virtue or formation, which is you are going to be who you are when the hard times come. And if you have a list of rules on the wall or you have like some great goals, like you might not necessarily be that person if you're not practicing that and being formed uh, in those practices and habits and and beliefs
0: over time. So, what would you say to a business leader uh, right now who their business is small? And they think, oh, I don't have much to steward right now, but you know, that's going to grow and they're going to have more to steward and that gets only more complex later. How can they be forming themselves and their business or their nonprofit now before they have to make those larger decisions later? Yeah, it's about the little things that you do every day, right? You're becoming
1: a certain kind of person, whether you want to say a, a habit, so is a character, so is a destiny. You are in a way, the accumulation of your habits, of your relationships. And yeah. so I would say be participating in those little things, whether that's quiet time, whether that's just having, for me, a huge one, and this is part partially from my reading of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, huge one is having a practice of confession in your life. And that doesn't have to be like a, with a priest or a clergy person, it could be therapy, uh, could be a, a group of friends, I would, I would say all of the above. Um, you can have people in your life that you say the truth to on a regular basis, that's going to bear itself out in your business, in your nonprofit, in your leadership, because you're not going to all of a sudden become a super honest person or a person of integrity or a person that's willing to say the truth when it's going to cost you something. You have to be practice, practicing that in your
0: relationships uh, consistently on a daily basis. So, A lot of people are talking about Bonhoeffer having a lot to say to us specifically in this cultural moment, in this season. Uh, give us a couple of Uh, Bonhoeffer's principles, thoughts, ideas that translate particularly well uh, to a lot of the chaos and complexity that we're trying to make sense of today.
1: Yeah, so one thing that Bonhoeffer says in his book, Life Together and, and Elsewhere, is that our first service to one another, our first ministry to one another, depending on your translation, is listening. Mm -hmm. So the number one thing that we can do for people is to actually listen to them. And he says the reason a Christian is actually called to do this is because God demonstrates this for us Mm -hmm. and that God listens to us. Mm -hmm. And so God gives us that example of, hey, I'm the most powerful person you know that exists and I listen to you. Mm -hmm. So if you're a powerful person in your sphere of influence, you owe it to the Mm -hmm. people that you are leading or nurturing or shepherding to listen to them.
0: That That would be number one. Wow. So good. So much, so much there. Um, Let's talk about mistakes. Uh, Let's talk about, um, you know, we have church leaders listening, um, academic, corporate, online influencers, nonprofits doing incredible things. What are some of the biggest mistakes um, that you've seen? And how do you see those as an ethicist uh, play themselves out? Yeah,
1: I think one one thing that, especially when someone's leading a larger organization, you start to get layers and layers of PR, you start to get, you know, a lot of kind of messaging, right? And I think sometimes just the power of the truth to make people trust you and to Mm -hmm. continue to build bonds of trust and to say, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but just saying the truth out loud once again, even when it costs you something, there's no generation that's ever existed that's a, that has valued authenticity more than my generation. I'm in my mid 30s um, now. At least we say that, um, but <laughs> but valuing authenticity or we you post can that really, on Instagram. <laughs> exactly, you can build incredible relationships and networks and. And even business relationships through, I, with my clients, I always lead with honesty and sometimes it makes it uncomfortable. And sometimes it makes people not want to work with me. And sometimes I've had to apologize for being too honest in certain circumstances, but I would much rather do that than, than make the opposite mistake, which is layers and mistrust. Mm -hmm. And Hey, why didn't you tell me the whole truth or, Hey, why didn't you guide us through this transition or, or this this period of time in our growth of our organization or our nonprofit or our church, why didn't, why weren't you upfront? why didn't you trust us with the truth? And I'll I'll tell you something that I said to someone close to me, Um, a person that was close to me and my family was trying to protect us, protect us from the truth. And I said to that person, I said, what I would love from you and what I think is more kind of Jesus gospel Bible, you know, um, more right, is protect us with the truth. Mm. Don't protect us from the truth. Like, I let, we need to be on the same page. We need to be living in reality. Another thing that Bonhoeffer says is an illusion that's dispelled by God is a grace, is a blessing. It is a blessing to get disillusioned because it means you now know the truth more Mm. than you did. And we oftentimes, you know, another buzzword community, we have these illusions that we carry around about community that everyone's going to be perfect everyone's going to treat me exactly the way i want to be treated no one's ever going to fail me we have these what bonhoeffer calls these ideal idealized communities in our brain whether that's work community and it's happened to all of us whether it's church community whether it's our family and then all of a sudden we run into reality and that's a big deal for bonhoeffer reality and it gets disillusioned and on one hand it shatters us it can it can fracture relationships it can really damage us but on on the other hand it can be a blessing it can be a grace because now we're living more within the actual community the actual reality that God has actually given us and so i would say those are some of the things that i'm seeing in this crazy time of of us trying to navigate Chaos and change and growth Mm. is if you can lead with the truth, if you can trust people with the truth, if you can protect people with the truth rather than from the truth, we are promised that the truth sets us free. And I know that seems
0: like a simple thing, but once again, if we don't practice it, it's not going to happen. So, other side of that, living with honesty, authenticity, uh, protecting people with the truth, what are some best practices that you think today are especially crucial for leaders?
1: Yeah. So I would say take those first two listening and truth telling and cultivate those on all levels of your life, the intimate kind of relationships of your life. But also if you're in a more public sphere, obviously talking to a hundred people is not the same as talking to one person. So you have to you have to translate that. Um, but in addition to listening and truth telling, um, I would say um, Always asking yourself the question about power dynamics and power relationships. I think oftentimes, even as I'm raising my small, my young uh, sons, um, there are times where I make them do something and I'm not I'm not actually being fair to them. It's not that I'm do, that it's bad. It's like, hey, I want you to make your bed or do whatever, but I'm not actually I ju- I'm just strong arming them basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's a good recipe for long-term relationship. I don't think that's a good recipe for long-term trust. And so building trust, listening is huge for that, telling the truth is huge, but also not not pulling a power play, not doing it just because you can. And I think, you know, uh, not not to be too Christian about it, but Jesus is our example, right? Yeah. And Jesus is the yeah. one who chose, what does power look like? Power looks like feet washing, power looks like, like can, yes, convincing, yes, persuading, yes, making your argument, but not ultimately being someone who's always going to force, you know, I've been married for 15 years and About a year into my marriage, I felt like God told me something because I am, I don't know if you do Enneagram stuff, but I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I'm an Mm -hmm. arguer. I want, like, I love it. I love debate. I love getting into it. And I I believe that God said to me, hey, you got a choice. You can either be right or you can be married. (laughs) Wow that's your choice. You can be right, or you can be married. And I don't think God was saying your, your wife's going to divorce you, but it's like, you're not going to have a real marriage if you just win the argument every time, because you're rhetorically gifted or you're quick on your feet. Like that's not the way to lead. And I think sometimes leaders have so much on their plates that we're tempted to take shortcuts. And some of those shortcuts is just is substituting power for relationships, substituting power for thoughtfulness, substituting power for, for actually sacrifice um, you know, and there's a hundred different leadership books about this leadership seat last and and all you know a bunch of other good ones. But I think it really bears up. like if we are listening, if we are telling the truth, if we are willing to give away power, not fully utilize our power, just can because we can doesn't mean we should. I think those are some
0: some pretty solid principles. interesting connection, and I, and I agree between power and speed. And let's talk about defaulting to the level of our training. If we are formed, in a way of power, then in the minute of chaos, we will head back to that. What we say in coaching Absolutely. is when emotion is high, intelligence is low. And we're trying to move leaders away from being reactive to being proactive, to being formed ahead of time. When mm-hmm. that happens and it will again, where do we sit in the midst of in the midst of that? Talk about power dynamics more. I'm hearing this conversation more, and we need to. Um, How are the past power dynamics and the way we focused underneath that being exposed um, these days? Besides just in the media and scandals, right? Because we all hear that. Yeah. What other ways are these old power dynamics being exposed?
1: Uh, You know, I think that corporations are talking a good game these days, right? They're talking about everyone be your authentic self and, you know, everyone gets a say and we're for justice. (laughs) We're for justice and equality and all that stuff um it the bottom line is still the bottom line for most people i'm not i'm not going to say it's for all corporations but but these large entities they're going to talk a game about how everyone gets their say and how they dig feedback and that's not going to be the case most of the time i think you still see humans defaulting to the easiest or most straightforward or most kind of shortcut option which is if i can make it happen like you said fast if i can make it happen now if i can make it without having to really think about it a lot well then i'm going to do that and so I would uh, I would say the antidote to that, and that's borrowing from a Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, who talked about being an antidote. So pushing back against bad things in your climate, in your culture. So an antidote that we can be as leaders in this climate is slow down. You don't have to weigh in on every issue immediately. You don't have to have a press release available immediately. Guess what? There is no moral obligation to be on social media. Therefore, there is no moral obligation to weigh in on every single issue. If you're not an Afghanistan expert, you don't have to talk about Afghanistan. If you're not a racial reconciliation expert, you you do not have to blindly run into the fray every time there's a topic of conversation. That's a hard thing that I had to learn in my life and I have to continue to learn. Not everybody needs to know what I think about Donald Trump. Like, honestly, like not everybody needs to know what I think about X, Y and Z all the time and i think sometimes that discretion is the better part of valor sitting back self control is a fruit of the spirit right and not having to be in everything all the time so for me the challenge is hey and this is in my marriage this is with my kids this is with my with my business this is in my writing and my teaching you don't have to do it all right now you can have faith i mean rest is part of this sabbath is part of this not having to just go Pedal to the metal all the time. I know I'm speaking about a lot of different things, but they're related. And if we're trying to get it done now, we're trying to get it done fast. We're we're trying to do it all all the time. We are going to make mistakes, and because, like you said, when the emotions are higher, when you're tired, or or when you're not thinking through things and taking time to rest and listen to God and listen to yourself and listen to others, you're going to make huge mistakes.
0: All these threads are kind of the tapestry, maybe that sits underneath. Um, our coaching foundation in that. And so you're pulling at things that in the course of an hour and a half coaching session, we're talking about, right? Speed, power, rest, or lack thereof, emotion, decisions we make ahead of time. So this is my kind of conversation, Ryan. I'm loving this. and Yeah. And to
1: take my wife's world and bring it in here, she is this great uh, musician and, and composer. But I remember, um, you know, her trying to teach me piano when we were first married, because I had never gotten to learn. We both kind of did some worship leading, some guitar playing, but she would show me how to play piano. And then I had some other friends that were teaching me how to play lead guitar. And, and I never got very good, but that wasn't the point. I just I just loved the thing. But one phrase I'll always remember from learning an instrument is, accuracy yields speed, not the other way around. Mm if you just try to go fast, you're going to, you might get fast, but you're going to be sloppy. The real way to learn is to learn slow and accurately. And then over time you get fast, but you get fast the right way, not the sloppy way. And Mm -hmm. so that's just kind of a picture that popped in my head, as you were saying,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, about the kind
1: of speed thing.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, I know you've studied MLK in um, great depth as well. Talk about some of MLK's uh, maybe lesser known uh, principles that really Mm -hmm. can translate to, to this cultural moment.
1: Yeah, I think when you see a lot of like corporate social justice movements, diversity, equity, inclusion, even more broad based social justice movements these days, they're missing some of the elements that that Martin Luther King's movement that he didn't start. He was a part of a greater movement that wasn't just him. Obviously, he became the most famous. But the civil rights movement in general that was already kind of being birthed out of the Harlem Renaissance and then into the 50s, um, what MLK did in the the Southern Christian Leadership uh, uh, Council that he was a part of and the NAACP. uh, With his specific movement, he would make people sign a, a, a 10 commandments of nonviolent action, which included praying for your enemies, like trying to picture your enemies as Jesus, having spiritual disciplines every day. He required something of people on a daily basis because he was looking to form a real community, not just slacktivism, not just online. He was actually against slogans because he says he said, sloganeering gets in the way of inclusion. It gets in the way of calling people together. It gets in the way of unity. If we have a certain slogan that makes, that turns people off, whatever that slogan is um, then we're going to cost ourselves part of our coalition. So he wanted to, and he wasn't a perfect person and neither was Bonhoeffer. Nobody's perfect, but he wanted to call people to become formed into a certain kind of spiritual political community over time through commitment to these practices, um, especially nonviolence, but people had to promise they had to write their name on a piece of paper. If they wanted to be a part of it today, Mm. if I want to be part of a social justice movement, I can post something on Instagram. I don't have to ask anybody. There's no accountability. Um, I think some hierarchy is healthy for social justice movements, because if you don't have any, then there's no accountability. And then someone can drop a cinder block on a cop set and say, I'm part of your group. And then what do you say? Yes. Do you say no? Do you disown that person? Um, You know, that is the messiness of a completely flat, a completely egalitarian movement is uh, I think that's where MLK would differ. He would say, you need leadership. You need leadership to cultivate community without leadership. It, we're just a bunch of people who happen to be in the same place in the same time. And if someone does something crazy, th- that means
0: just as much as all the good stuff everyone else is doing. Agreed. Agreed. Um, have you ever heard of the book, New Power? I have not. Educate me. Uh, reading a book called New Power right now, uh, not necessarily saying this is the best kind of power, but how we've moved away from so many of the formal power structures into the informal. And if a hashtag mm-hmm. is our own authority our only authority, That's a dangerous space. And and as people in the kingdom to not only have the principles of Jesus, but the life of Jesus to guide us and having a king, um, a good king in a kingdom. I am so grateful for that, that we sit in the midst of both old power and new power and um, so much of even the authority of scripture and um, some of the traditions of the church that I'm a, a big believer in, in both honor and honesty. And, um, and those themes kind of came up a fascinating read. I think you'd really enjoy it. A book called new power. And, uh, secondly, I want to get your thoughts on Ted Lasso. Have you watched Ted Lasso yet? Yes, I have. All, All right. right. We're pretty much caught up. Caught up All with right. Ted. So talk to me about power dynamics of Ted and the ethics of Ted.
1: That's a good question. I, you know, I haven't, I haven't done a full breakdown in my brain, but I'll just give you my kind of just, off just the top here. Just pull
0: out. This yeah. System. I think, Let's
1: go. I think, I think Ted values relationships about, about, about everything else. And I think Ted um, shows that um, it can't be completely egalitarian. You can't just like let the players run around the field and do whatever they want. There has to be structure. There has to be discipline, but what does Ted do? Ted listens, right? He actually listens to his players he actually treats them like people and other people within the organization. He tries to lead with encouragement. He is honest. He he um, you know dad jokes aside, he does kind of tell people the truth, and he's not he's not afraid to lead with authenticity. But I think he is varying levels of authenticity for varying levels of intimacy. And what I mean by that, and this is something I've had to learn, is is um, I have to fight hard to be um, to be vulnerable uh, because that's not my nature. But at times, I've been vulnerable with kind of too broad an audience in a way that that isn't healthy for me. I should have an inner circle of people, an intimate circle. I should have expanding kind of concentric circles where I'm being more and more vulnerable to those people. I don't think any president should be exactly the same when they stand up in front of a microphone as they are in being intimate and being vulnerable in the right ways at the right levels uh, with the right people, that that's one thing that I really enjoy about Ted Lasso. Um, I don't think he's a liar. I think he leads with the truth, but I think he tries to say it in a way that's going to be received. He he doesn't. He's not always like tricking people into doing something. He's pretty straightforward, and he would rather be persistent and present and consistent in somebody's life in order to win them over than try to pull you know like a straight up power power move. Now, when he has to, he will. Um, but, uh, another thing I like about Ted is that he'll go to a third person to help facilitate growth in a second person. So in a recent episode, the new captain of the soccer team, I believe his name is Isaac. He's struggling. He's off his game. Ted Lasso, um, you know, enlists the aid of the, of the former captain, my Boy. favorite character in, in the show. Yeah. He's just so a good. crotchety young man. Yeah, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere, Um, (laughs) Roy Kent. And so he goes to Roy Kent and he says, I need your help with this because he realizes he's not enough on his own to do the job that needs to be done with his current captain. He needs to go to Roy Kent and he needs Roy's help in order to
0: facilitate this growth. Uh, I think there's a lot of good lessons in Ted. What, What about you? Man, no, that can't get any better than that. Folks, you've heard it. The ethics of Ted Lasso right here What do you mean? You're like, I haven't even thought about it. And then you wax eloquent for 10 minutes on it, Ryan. Great, great stuff. I just, uh, it's, it's striking a chord. I think there's echoes of the kingdom for sure in Ted um, and people are saying, man, like this is the moment for this kind of show. It snuck up, I think on everybody. Um, And yet I believe there's a reason that it resonates kind of like movies that get Oscars in particular years resonate culturally for a reason, um, in the moment that they're at. So it's just interesting to pay attention to uh, some of the, I think the longings for kindness, the longings, um, the echoes, even for um, the guys to be cared for when the team is not performing. Um, isn't that how we all yeah. want to be loved and cared for, even when the numbers aren't there, uh, even when we're not, you know, our what isn't as important as our who. And that's maybe the last yeah. thing I always want to say that is that who you are matters more than what you do. And often what we do needs to be re-examined, right? Our habits and we need to, to yep. think that, but the identity that we're loved as daughters and sons of the King um, precedes all and that should shape us. Uh, Ryan, love your thoughts on formation. We've talked about Ted Lasso. We've talked about business, ethics, Bonhoeffer, MLK. Folks, you've gotten it all here today. Fascinating conversation. Just wanna leave you with this. Other than what we've talked about, uh, is there one small principle or practice that can make a massive difference in leaders' lives today.
1: Yeah, I would. I would just go back to that principle of truth-telling and um, truth-telling as confession and more, more trusting relationships, and then truth-telling. I- I'll give you a practical, a, a practical kind of um, business application of this. No employee of yours should ever be surprised when they're fired, right? It should never be like, oh, I didn't see that coming at all. Like It should have been clearly communicated on a consistent basis. You should have policies and procedures put in place. Those are more structural elements to a truth-telling ethos in an organization. Yeah, commitment. Tell the truth. Yeah, mm-hmm. and lead with it and say, hey, look, this is a problem, and if it doesn't get fixed, we're going to have to do something about it. So I would mm-hmm. say at every level, whether it's your business, your personal life, your marriage, it sounds simple. It's not. You're not going to want to do it in certain circumstances. Lead with the truth, but do it in a practicing way, not just practical, but practicing over time. It's going to form you into a person who's bold, who doesn't live in the dark, who doesn't live in a prison of shame, who's able to live kind of out in the open. Um, Don't let lies have any purchase in your heart or in your life. And, And we've seen so much disaster come from that. But also, you're just going to be a kinder person because you're not going to be surprising people with bad news that you weren't courageous enough to tell them on the front end.
0: Well, so good. Ryan, where can folks learn from you and connect with you?
1: Uh, You come to my website, ryanmhuber.com or Twitter or even Instagram from time to time. Um, I send out some Substack newsletters, but you can see those um, on ryanmhuber.com. If you like spiritual disciplines, if you like spiritual formation, if you like Bonhoeffer, I also have a book out about Dietrich Bonhoeffer that's super nerdy and way too expensive. But if you are one of the few, the proud, the Bonhoeffer nerds, you can Google my name uh, along with Dietrich Bonhoeffer and you will find it on amazon.com. Awesome.
0: Ryan, love the conversation. Keep it up, my man. Thanks.